Hi, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I'm Mark Unger, the pastor here at Celebration Church. We are in the book of Numbers, and uh, we are reading of the journey of the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. At least they were supposed to be going into the promised land, and uh, they didn't quite make it. Um, if you remember, we studied last week how these guys all went in and they sent in uh, one guy from each of the tribes to, to look at what the land was going to be like. And they came back and two of the guys said, man, this is great. God's going to bless us. We're going to do great things. That was Caleb and Joshua. But the other ten dorks all started getting everybody all afraid. We can't do it. Oh, what are we going to do? They're so big. We're not strong enough. Blah, 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 blah. And then we read how all the people just wailed and cried. <laughs> We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. Finally, God just has it up to here with these people. Unbelievable. And then he tells them, you're not going in now. For 40 years, you're going to wander around in the desert. One year for each day that the guys went in and spied out the land. They went in for 40 days, came out. So for every day... A year is going to pass until all of you guys, 20 years older, have died off. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, then they got all upset. And if you remember the oddest thing, then, like the next day, they decide, no, we can do it. We can do it. And then they went up to try and take the land, and they got the snot kicked out of them. Now, it's, it's an amazing story, and we, we had a lot of fun with it last week. But what's bizarre about it is both cases showed unbelief. In other words, in the first place, God says, look, if you will do this, if you will step out and trust me, I will be with you and you can kick their butts, man, and take over the land. Well, they didn't believe it. They didn't believe God would be with them. Then after the punishment comes and the big rebuke and now they're going to be stuck out in the desert for 40 years, all of a sudden now... Now they can go take the land. But this is also unbelief because Moses said, don't do it because God will not be with you now. So now they disbelieve the other way. It's like these people were so full of unbelief, it didn't matter. If he said, God will be with you, go, I don't believe it. And then if he says, God won't be with you, don't go, we can do it. And then they would get themselves in trouble all the time. It reminds me, quite frankly, of so many people that I deal with, and, and we run into this in church all the time, you've got, on the one hand, people who don't really believe God will bless their lives. They really don't. I mean, they kind of, you know, they, they come to church and, and they pray the few prayers with us and, and they listen to us preach and teach and they might, you know, look at a Bible once in a while, but they, they're not really filled with faith. They don't really trust God. They don't really pray why don't they do these things? Because they don't really believe God will do it. I mean, come on. If you really, really believe God would answer your prayer, you would be more motivated to pray. The major overwhelming reason why most people don't really pray and seek God and trust God in the midst of their circumstances is at some fundamental level, they don't believe it. They just don't believe it. So we encourage them and we egg them on and they come to church and we're glad they come and we keep trying to build faith in them and give them the word because the Bible says the more of the word that you hear, the greater your faith will be. So that's all positive and great. But it's just amazing how many people will not really step out and do what God has asked them to do or challenges them to do. But for no other reason than they just 
don't believe it. I mean, they give all kinds of other reasons. I'm struggling, or I don't know, or what about this, and blah, blah, blah. But look, at the end of the day, they just don't believe it. They don't believe God really will be with them. So that's the people on the one hand, like the guys uh, here, where God says, if you'll go into the land, I'll be with you. You'll have a great victory. You'll turn everything around. You'll take over this promised land. They didn't believe him, so they didn't do it. Then you've got the other people who are like the next day, when suddenly they think they can do it. These are the people who think they can do whatever they want and that God will still be with them. And we challenge them and say, no, look, you can't just do whatever you want and sin against God and think God will be with you. Now, these are the Christians who, again, and I use the word very loosely, but the ones who claim to be Christians, who come to church and they clap and they sing and praise God, but in their own personal lives, they're a disaster. They lie, they cheat, they fornicate, they commit adultery, they look at porn and masturbate, all this, all these sins. And then I get up and say, man, don't do these things because this will keep God from blessing your life. And they don't believe it. And they look at me like, Oh, I don't believe that. I think it's okay. You know, and sexual sin, that's the biggie. You know, everybody's just all so in this corrupted culture in which we live. You can reason with Christians, you know, there are guys feeling up his girlfriend. And we're not just talking teenagers. Some of y'all are in your 30s and 40s still acting like this nonsense and older. Still feeling up your girlfriends and doing all this kind of stuff. And I challenge you and say, look, don't do that stuff. This is sin. This will keep God from blessing your life. And they go, no, I, I don't believe that. I don't, God will still be with me. I can take the land. Oh yeah, now I can do it. It doesn't really matter. Both of them are just unbelief. They don't believe God will bless and they don't think God is going to punish. And you are delusional. If you think you can keep doing the kind of things that offend God, lots of luck taking the land, baby. I mean, I just sit back and watch. We sit back with amazement and these are the people, their lives are disasters. They never seem to get blessed. They have all kinds of health issues. Financially, they're a disaster. Nothing seems to work with them. They can't seem to get a job. Everything seems to go wrong. All they do is touch stuff and it just about breaks. And they have no idea why God isn't blessing them. Even though, by their own admission, they're doing things that God says don't do, they think, well, it it, it doesn't really matter. I'm telling you, it's the same type of scenario here. The one people on the one, as soon as God says do it, they don't believe it, so they can't do it. A day later, I think it was a day, it was a day or two, it was like instantaneously, all of a sudden the next day, no, we can do it. Don't do it, God won't be with you. No, we can do it. And then they just get the snot kicked out of them. It's just amazing. Don't be like that. People, for crying out loud, when God says to be with you, trust him. He will be with you and he will bless you. And on the other hand, do not delude yourself and live in ways that are offensive to God, lying, stealing, cheating, fornicating, or whatever the list of things that people do that they think doesn't really matter. And then they think God's going to still be with them. You too are delusional. We need to start doing things the right way. And I'll tell you, as we look at this stuff, we need to find the parallels because in, in many respects, as easy it is to point at these people and say they were idiots, and quite frankly, they were <laughs> just amazing levels. We're not too far from that today. People still do the same kinds of things today. And it is truly amazing. Anyway, so we picked it up. Uh, we're going to pick it up at chapter 17 of Numbers. And um, now what, what had just happened here? Remember, there was this was uh, the rebellion with uh, Korah and these guys who came and said, you know, you you're just not the only man of God. You know, God talks to us too. And uh, uh, 
Miriam and Aaron had done this a few chapters earlier. For some reason, these people started thinking that, you know, Moses just, he's taking on too much responsibility. He thinks he's just too, he's not so spiritual, you know. We're spiritual too. And they started attacking the leadership that God had put into place. And uh, so they, and then God sends this plague and they all, you know, get this serious spanking from God. But then God finally says in chapter 17, verse 1, this is where we'll pick it up. He says, the Lord says to Moses, look, speak to the Israelites and get 12 staffs from them. One from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. So we're talking the 12 tribes of Israel here. Get one staff for each one of these guys. And then write the name of, of each man on a staff. Whoever is the, you know, head of, you know, Judah or whoever is the head of the tribe of Simeon or whatever right now. Bring that staff, write his name on it, and let's get all these 12 staffs together. And he says, on the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name. Because this is the one that God had chosen Aaron and the Levites to be the, the priesthood. Even though he originally wanted a whole nation of priests, these guys were so whacked out. He finally just picked this one tribe. Remember, these are the guys that after Moses came down and threw down the Ten Commandments and stuff, because they were worshiping a stupid cow, said, how many of you are on the Lord's side? And all the Levites stepped over. Everybody else didn't. Well, from then on, you know, God has a special blessing on, on Aaron and the Levites. So he says, on the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name, just like everybody has to put the name of the staff or the head of each ancestral tribe. And then place them in the tent of meeting in front of the testimony where I meet with you. So this is this tent where Moses would go in and he would pray and he would meet with God in quite amazing fashion. Uh, Clearly angels and stuff talked with Moses. And this is where God says, you know, with Moses, I speak face to face. Not literally face to face because we know that God said no one can see my face and still live. And he, and he warned Moses you couldn't do that. But face to face in the sense that these angels would come representing God. And they would just, you know, he wasn't just closing his eyes like we do and looking up in faith. He was having conversations with, with people, you know, with, with angels and stuff. It's truly amazing uh, what he would have. And the, the presence of God would be so glorious. You remember when he'd come out, his face and stuff would be so bright glo- with the glory of God. They had to put a cloth over his face because he was freaking everybody out, walking around with this big light bulb. And uh, so anyway, so this is the tent, the special tent where he would go. So he says, take those 12 staffs and put them in that tent. And uh, he says, then the staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout. Remember, this is who they're arguing about. Who's in charge? Who's really in charge? I think I should be in charge. No, I think I should be in charge. No, I'm more spiritual than that guy. Back and forth they would go. So God's trying to put an end to this. As if they should have seen it already. I mean, again, these people just, they just couldn't get it. So he says, I'm going to take the person that I choose and his staff will sprout. And I will rid myself of the constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. (laughs) At least in theory, anyway. So, remember, they're taking these dead sticks. They're staffs. They're just dead. And he says, whichever one of the staffs that I bless, it will come to life and it will start sprouting. Now, that's pretty impressive. You know, all of a sudden, a, a staff all of a sudden that you've been walking around a dead stick, all of a sudden comes to life and leaves and stuff come out of it. So Moses spoke to the Israelites and their leaders gave him the 12 staffs, one for the leader of each of their ancestral tribes, and Aaron's staff was among them. And Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. Now really, at this point, do you really need to give a staff even, you know, I mean, they should have said, look, you're right, we keep pushing this, we know God has anointed you and Aaron, and, but, oh, here's my staff. I mean, these guys really thought. There, there's something about rebellion in uh, in the kingdom of God and we still have this to this day 
in churches. We talked and laughed a lot about this last week. Where people get very arrogant and they don't like the preacher and he don't think oh, yeah, you're blah, 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 and I'm spiritual too and they get they just get arrogant. I mean that's the thing that seems to mark them more than anything. They just reek. You get around them and it's like, whew, dude, you smell. I mean it, it's, it's a pride and arrogance and I know so much and I've read the Bible and blah 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 blah, blah. and they just they spiritualize their fight against leadership. And, but it's, it's just painting a dog turd, man. At the end of the day, it's still just a dog turd, okay? These people will take this rebellious nature and they make it look real spiritual and stuff, but it's just arrogant and, and, uh, and it's really a bad thing, a bad place to be, quite frankly. Churches struggle with this, by the way, all the time. Our church hardly ever struggles with it. On occasion, we will deal with it. And you usually hear me talk about it from the pulpit, but we just, because I don't tolerate it. We just, man, if you're going to be like that, Go away. Don't walk around all arrogant and proud and I think this and I think that and I think... Well, whoop-de-doo. Good for you. You know, don't be so arrogant, proud. You know, the Bible even says that you can take wisdom, something that's really right, and pollute it with a rotten attitude. And that's what often happens in churches. And then these people, all they're doing is they're, they're getting people around them and they try to get splits and stuff. And So many churches are always splitting and all that kind of nonsense and... We just try to deal with this stuff right away. Anyway, these guys all came. They all gave their staff because they obviously thought, well, surely God will make mine, bud. So they were still arrogant. Well, the next day, Moses entered the tent of the testimony and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the house of Levi, had not only sprouted, but it had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. Overnight. Now, serious. Now, this probably didn't even amaze them that much. These people were so hardened of heart. Again, these people routinely saw miracles that would fry us today. But yet, it seemed to have no effect on them. It didn't matter whatever God did, these guys still stayed uh, arrogant and divisive and proud and just icky. Very, very sad. Anyway, then Moses brought out uh, all the uh, staffs from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. They looked at them, and each man took his own staff, probably going, oh, man, mine didn't, mine didn't sprout, you know. And then the Lord said to Moses, put Aaron's staff back in front of the testimony to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. Uh, this will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. And Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. <clears throat> so, what is God saying? The par- parallel here is if you keep being rebellious remember a whole bunch of people just died 14,700 people bit the bullet because God said a plague for their last arrogant attack and God said look at least we clearly show them in a miraculous way Aaron's the man you and Aaron are the ones who speak for me to the people and now they'll quit being rebellious and and then people will quit dying okay at least in theory but these people were so arrogant and so stubborn I mean they they just never stopped and, and they knew it. Look at it. The next verse. Verse 12. So here Moses tells them everything. They just had this great demonstration, whatever. And listen, now just be obedient and you won't die. And the Israelites said to Moses, we will die. We will die. We're lost. We're all lost. Woe is me. Anyone who even comes the near the tabernacle of the Lord will die. Are we all going to die? God's going to kill us all. I mean, these people knew they couldn't stop their behavior. 
They knew they couldn't stop the rebellion. When he says, look, from now on, just don't be rebellious. And you all live. And, and no, we're going to die. I just know we're going to... Because they couldn't stop. They knew they couldn't stop. These people were incorrigible. Unbelievable. And uh, hard to understand. Anyway, that's why God made them wander around for 40 years. He was waiting for all these guys to die off. These guys, you know, and in all honesty, you got to wonder, you know, how much their past played into their present. Because you, you need to be careful about that. I, because when you look at this, you think, how dumb can these people be? Okay? But then when you just roll back a little bit here, they had spent 430 years as slaves. And that, that line of thinking, that, that thinking of the world, of their past, had been so ingrained in their heads. Even though God had brought them out in glorious fashion and kept doing glorious things in their lives and showing his love in powerful ways, they couldn't shake their past. And they kept wanting to go back to Egypt. They kept going, wanting to go back to Egypt. They just, even God would do stuff and, and send a plague, don't ever do this again. And they do it again. They just wouldn't stop. They were grumbling and complaining. And, and honestly, you, you've got to think these are either the dumbest people to have ever lived on the face of the earth. Or this is the devastation of what 430 years of slavery will do to you. This is the devastation of what sin can do to you, as our analogy for people who've come from the world and, and they've gotten the, just the snot kicked out of them and they have no self-esteem. And, and I'm talking about some of you listening to me right now. You've been like this. You feel terrible about all yourself all the time. You've always failed. You're nothing but a loser. Da, da, da. God comes into your life and he starts to speak to you and says, you are now a child of God. You have hope. Trust me. I will bless your life. Do what I tell you to do, man. And you will do great things. But so many people still go, oh, no, I can't. I can't. I can't. I know Pastor Mark talks about it all the time, but it can't happen for me, you know. What is that? That's Egypt talking to you, man. That's that 430 years of slavery, of sin, of that destruction in your life. Don't be like these people. At some point, you have got to make a decision. I will not be this way anymore. I will not think this way anymore. I am going to start thinking the way God wants me to think. Paul says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have to change the way we think. These guys refuse to change the way they think. And here's the power of stinking thinking. Even when God does incredible miracles right in front of your face, if you can't break stinking thinking, it won't do you any good. won't do you any good at all. You've got to change the way you think. You've got to change the way you think about yourself. You've got to change the way you think about sin. It's amazing. On the one hand, people think, well, you know, God won't do anything for me. And on the other hand, well, whatever I do, God doesn't really mind talking about their sins and stuff. And they just stay in the toilet all the time. Why? They're thinking and acting like they've always thought. They're behaving like they've always thought. That's what I'm talking about. Some of, you, some of you guys, man, and you know better. God bless you. You know, you're single today. You're dating at 40, 50 years of age, whatever. And you're still acting like pagan teenagers for crying out loud. And you know better. But yet you justify it. Why? Because your mind goes back to what you learned when you were in Egypt. This is the way I acted before. and Oh, God doesn't really care. I'm telling you, it, he cares. You've got to break the patterns of thinking. We've got to think differently. It's so easy and almost comfortable 
to go back to Egypt, to go back to the old sins, to the old patterns, to the old way of thinking. And we just justify it. And then we ignore the Bible or we come up with these bizarre excuses and nonsense, you know. I deal with this all the time, every day. You know, my radio program. I don't know if you ever listen to my radio program. Listen to, listen to these people. These are born-again Christians writing in with some of the most outrageous, ignorant behavior known to mankind. And they are as clueless as the day is long. Why? And then they wonder why their life stinks. So, I mean, you've got to change. Why are they acting? Because they're acting not like the new creature they are supposed to be in Christ. Not acting in the way of God in this new, man, let me take you to the promised land and show you how you can succeed in life. No! They turn their back on that and they keep, even though they still proclaim the name of Jesus and they say they're Christians and stuff, and I'm sure it's some, you know, fundamental level, you know, that's all true and real for them, but they still live in Egypt. They still think like Egypt. They behave in ways that brings the cursings of God on their life. They refuse to act in ways that will bring the blessings of God in their life. They can't change the way they think. That's what 430 years will do to a nation like this. And I'm telling you, this is what a life of sin before you come to Christ will do to you. But at some point, the next generation finally had to say, we're not going to think this way anymore. We're going to think differently. Our parents refused to do it, but we're going to do it. And then they went into the promised land. And they kicked butt. And they took over. And God blessed them. And you just need to make a decision. Am I going to think new and really believe this stuff? And really act in a new way? Transformed by the renewing of my mind, getting rid of the stinking thinking? Or am I, even though I still claim the name of Christ, am I going to still act think, behave, process everything just like I did when I was in Egypt. Dudes, ladies, stop. Quit living in Egypt. Here God is just about trying to drag them, kicking and screaming into the promised land. He's doing everything he can to pull them along. And they're fighting it and everything. No, I want Egypt. I want Egypt. Oh, And it's not like Egypt was a great place. They were miserable there. But they couldn't stop thinking like slaves. God comes out. He's trying to make them into a new nation. He gives them new principles to live by. New energies. New promises. New structure of life. Making them a new nation. But they refused to do it. And they kept acting. Like the old Egypt. That they came from. An amazing thing. Chapter 18. Read it yourself. More laws. (laughs) Rules. Chapter 19. More rules. Oh man. Thank God we don't have to live by this stuff anymore. Then chapter 20. So. In the first month. The whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin. And they stayed at Kadesh. There. Miriam died, sweet little old Miriam, finally kicked the bucket, and they buried her there. This was the Miriam who at one time told Moses, you know, you're not so spiritual, and God punished her for that. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people, rather than going to the Lord and trusting God who had been taking care of them all this time, what did they do again? They gathered in opposition 
to Moses and Aaron. And they whined. And they bellyached. And they gave them nothing but static. They quarreled with Moses and said, (laughs) If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Now remember, God had punished them so severely. 14,600, whatever the number was, dropped dead as God punished the people. And they're all running, Ah, save me, save me, save me. And finally, Aaron offers a sacrifice and the plague stops. Now, they're saying, I wish we'd have died with those guys. If only we would have died with those guys. These people had a death wish that wouldn't stop. Again, they refused to stop thinking like Egypt and thinking like the promised land. And there they were. And then they cry in verse 4, Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert? Why did you bring us out into this? I'll tell you why. Because you're a bunch of wieners and you wouldn't trust God going to the promised land. Now you're going to wander around here for 40 years until y'all die off. That's why. But just deaf. They're just deaf as they can be. They don't hear it. Oh. And anybody, anybody, those of you who are strong believers and you know how you minister to people and you teach them the truth and, and it's like they've got beans in their ears and they look at you like, uh-huh. It's like they're not hearing a word you're saying. Jesus knew this. That's why when he came along, he said, hey, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why would he have to say that? Because most of them had beans in their ears. They weren't hearing a word. I mean, they hear the words, but they don't get it. They just don't get it. They're, they're deaf to spiritual truths. Why? Because their heads are just off in Egypt somewhere. Why did the Lord's community come into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain, no figs, no grapevines, no pomegranates. By the way, the land they refused to go into initially had so much of that stuff, you couldn't hardly stand it. They said the land flowed with milk and honey. Gigantic grapes they brought back and showed the people. All the stuff they're whining for, they could have had, but wouldn't do it because they wouldn't have faith and believe God. Then when they tried to do it on their own, disobeying God, they couldn't get in either. And after all that whining about what they don't have, he says, and there is no water to drink. Aaron and Moses went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down. They went to God. These guys knew. Man, when the heat's on, when everybody's against you, when everybody doubts you, nobody believes you, or everybody's criticizing you, go to Jesus. And they went to pray. And they fell down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron... Gather the assembly together and speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock will drink. Again, God is about to do another amazing miracle. Talk to that rock. Water is going to gush out. Woo! And it will take care of all their needs. Even though they were whining and complaining and wish we were all dead and all that kind of stuff. God was still willing to provide for them. And then Moses is about to do something that will now change the course of his life. He's about to do something that will keep him from entering the promised land. Because he stuck around all that time for the 40 years. 
God stayed with them. All these guys died off. Now they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Moses was not allowed to go in. For one simple act. For one simple moment. For one totally, in my mind, justifiable act. Which we will read next week as we take a look at this. But, uh, wow. Just for that one little thing, which we will see next week. He is kept from going into the promised land. And we'll take a look, look at that next week and, 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 and delve into that more about the importance of, of, of the, to whom much is given, Jesus said, to whom much is required. I mean, if God dealt like this to all of us, we'd all be doomed because we all mess up and stuff. But when you're sitting there having conversations every day with angels and God's revealing himself to you and you're hearing voices and then you mess up, look out. Not such a pretty sight. Uh, and we'll look at that. We're going to take a look at some biblical things. You know, be careful. Don't desire to be so much in a place of uh, authority. You know, like some of these people, I, I'm as spiritual as you. You know, don't desire that. Paul, James said, be careful with this. We'll take a look at this next week. Because of who much is given, much will be required. Anyway, it's, it's, it's just absolutely fast, fascinating as we continue to learn about these things. Now, uh, I'm going to stop. We're shut, shutting down a little bit short. This week at the Bayside campus, we're going to be having a baptismal service. There's some people who have made this wonderful step. They are coming out of Egypt. They're going to get in the water. They're going to be baptized. And they're going to lay down their old life. And they're going to walk, hopefully, in newness of life and refusing to go back into the promised land. I'm not sure what point, if you guys are doing something different or if you're doing baptisms yourself there. I don't know. I just know what they told me to do today. Anyway, I love you guys. We will see you all next Wednesday night. Bye-bye. Am I on? Good. I'd like to invite all those who are going to be baptized in water to come on down and head right over here to the front row and be seated right close here. And uh, we are in for a treat. We are going to do water baptism, baptismal uh, service right now. And uh, Pastor Lathan is going to be, he said he was going to dive in. I'm anxious to see it. As they're heading down, let me just read a couple of verses from the book of Colossians. Paul wrote, In him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I want you to understand that clearly. Can God do that? Yes, he can. You know why? Because he's God. And uh, we, we say the Apostles' Creed and we say uh, Jesus Christ was crucified, died, and was buried. And uh, Paul is saying just as Christ was buried, we are buried with him in God's eyes. Now, aren't you glad God didn't ask us to be buried under dirt? For this symbolic act, it is a symbolic act, but it's so important. But he said, no, as Christ was buried under the earth, this symbolizes what has happened in your heart 
And by the way, that's what's really at the root of this. What Christ has done in our hearts, these folks are going to be demonstrating here tonight. Pastor Lathan is heading down to the pool. He's not going to dive. By the way, for those of you who are usually here on Wednesday, not on Sunday, I'm Dan Carlson. I'm the pastor of local and Latino ministries here at the church. I've seen many of you around church. And uh, just so you know who I am, I've been on staff here since last year, July. And it's just such a, a, a pleasure for me to do this here tonight. And uh, this is always such a special time in the heart of believers. So we understand that God sees this as such an important, critical moment in the lives of these people. And God says, as Christ, my son, was buried under the surface of the earth, I see you as being buried and resurrected with him in newness of life. And again, it's his plan. I could never have come up with anything like that. I'm not smart enough. But God is. And uh, we, we do not baptize babies. We dedicate babies here at Celebration Church. We baptize believers. And we believe that it's a, a decision to follow Christ. And even Jesus himself was baptized out of obedience to his father at the River Jordan by John the Baptist. He said, just, John, suffer this to happen now. Just go along with me here, brother. And uh, he was doing it as a forerunner of what he would later suffer uh, and, and die. But he wanted to demonstrate as an act of obedience to his father. And he said, I want all my followers to do the same thing. And so that's what these folks are doing here tonight. And uh, just one more verse. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your hearts, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you, listen, all your sins. Woo! All your sins. Do you see why this is important? Does this forgive our sins? No, it's a heart attitude before God. But this is part of that act of obedience and following Christ. And so I'm going to ask, we have uh, 12 people, I think, that are going to be baptized tonight. We have a couple of people that are in the same families, and so I'm going to ask Mark and Cassidy Hartley to come up first. Here they come. testimony. Father, we baptize him now in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And here's Cassidy. testimony and we tonight Lord as we gather together as we just join with her in celebrating this moment 
as she follows you through the waters of baptism. We thank you for her Christian testimony, Lord, and we baptize her now in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Luann Hansen, Luann Hansen. And I'm going to ask Kristen Elby to be ready right at the top of the stairs there, okay? I'll call your name. This is Luann Hansen. Father, we thank you for Luann. We thank you for her life. We thank you, Father, what you're doing in her life, what you've already completed in her life. We thank you, Father, that as we baptize her now, as she takes, goes through the, the waters of baptism, representing what you've done already in her heart. Father, we thank you for her Christian testimony, and we baptize her now in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Next is Kristen Elby, and I'm going to ask Curtis and Maya Turner if they would uh, come to the top of the stairs and just be ready. testament tonight, we now baptize her in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Next, Curtis and Maya Turner. Who's going first? Dad. It's a good brother. I love this man. Next is Maya, and I'm going to ask Brian Bush to come to the top of the stairs, please. Change your life 
And we thank you for that, Father. We thank you that you continue to pour out your blessing upon her as she grows. Lord, that you would continue to minister to her and continue to reaffirm and confirm your work in her life. And so, Father, based on her Christian testimony, we now baptize her in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Next is Brian Bush, and I'm going to ask Christina Tapia to come up. Tapia. Christina Tapia, and I'm going to ask Karen Burke to come to the top of the stairs, please. Pastor Lathan, by the way, have you ever lost one and not been able to? I don't want to make her nervous. Father, we thank you for Christina. We thank you, Lord, for your great love for her. Your word declares, Lord, that you loved her from the very foundation of the world. And that love was unconditional. So, Father, we thank you for that love and thank you that she's reached out and embraced that love, taken in all that you have for her, Lord, that she has accepted you as her Lord and her Savior. And so, Father, so based on her Christian testimony, we now baptize her in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Next is Karen Burke, and I'm going to ask Amy Kiefert to come to the top of the stairs. She's not here. All right. Then I'm going to ask Bruce Van Oss to come. Thank you. Father, we just pray over Karen right now. We thank you for her life. We thank you for your work in her life. And Father, we just now, based on her testimony, her love for you, we now baptize her in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Next is Bruce Van Oss, and I'm going to ask Jermaine Cooper. Is Jermaine here? There, all right. I don't see how I could have missed him. He's awful tall. Father, we thank you for Bruce. We thank you for your great love that overtakes him and ministers through him. We thank you for his, his commitment to you and his relationship with you. And so, Father, tonight again, based on his Christian testimony, we now baptize him in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
Next is Jermaine Cooper. And I'm going to ask Dan and Dina Van Lannen, if you would, to come to the top of the stairs. Thanks. Father, we thank you for Jermaine. We thank you for what you're doing in his life, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that when, you're, when you come into our life, you make all things new. That you restore, you recreate, Lord God. You just bring total healing. And we thank you that in Jermaine's life, Lord, that you're doing something very special. And so tonight, Father, we just come and together we celebrate with him. And based on his testimony tonight, Lord, we baptize him now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Next is Dina Van Lannen. Her husband Dan is right behind her. Two of the hardest workers I've ever seen, truly. And a great couple. Father, we thank you for Dina. We thank you for her life. We thank you again, Lord, for your grace and your mercy that's poured over her. And as she goes through the waters of baptism tonight, Lord, that you would continue to pour out your abundant blessing on her and strengthen her. So based on her Christian testament tonight, Lord, we baptize her in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Last but not least, Dan Van Lannen. Thank you for my brother that's standing here, Lord, and thank you for all that you have done in his life. Thank you, Lord, that he continues to open up his heart for all that you continue to do and wanting more of you. So, Father, we baptize him now in response to his Christian testament and his witness. We baptize him now in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If this brings this much joy here, can you imagine how God feels about watch, watching these act in obedience? <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If you are interested, yeah, Pastor Gary, please come. If you're interested, if, if you've received Christ and you've not yet followed him in, uh, in obedience uh, by experiencing this, we do this about every other month. So watch the bulletin and you'll see it there. And uh, we do a class a week ahead of time, and then uh, you can experience this. I, I really encourage you to take this seriously, to consider it seriously. Uh, and, and if you want uh, more information, you can call a church office, and we can give you more information about this. God bless you, everyone. Hope you uh, were blessed by that tonight. Pastor Gary. Thank you, Pastor Dan. Praise God. Boy, that lifts your spirit, doesn't it? Our ushers are coming tonight. We're going to be giving in our tithes and offerings to the Lord our God. And uh, yeah, just go ahead. Just.
cheer on God. He's doing. He's faithful. Praise God. What a great night. And uh, I had an opportunity to meet with most of these people as well. And, and they are really on fire for, for Jesus. He's changed our lives, hasn't he? Let's have a word of prayer and thank him. Uh, everything that we, that we give has an end purpose of reaching people. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for how you provide. Lord, many, many of us, this is our church night tonight. And we, we, we give our offerings tonight. And so we, we celebrate this time together and all that's happened tonight, the Word of God, the praise and worship, and the, the coming together and fellowship. We are so grateful that, that you invented this thing you call the church and continue to drive us into this community, into this region, to reach people with the great gospel of Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. In His name we pray. Amen.